Uh, just by word of explanation, uh, we have been looking at the first kind of half of the book of Exodus uh, just before Christmas. Uh, and obviously, Christmas is a long time away now. Uh, so we, we had a, a kind of a, a gap in the teaching series, and we thought that it would be helpful to have a, basically both a moment slightly looking back at what we've thought about in the book of Exodus, uh, as well as setting us up for returning into that book next week. Uh, and to do that, uh, we're going to look at these words from Jesus as a bit like a prism. Uh, I wonder if you noticed the, the kind of the similar vocab between some of those, those passages, particularly the mention of yoke there. Uh, the book of Exodus has these wonderful kind of melodic themes that run through the rest of Scripture. Uh, and so the hope is that as we look at these words and we look back at what we've seen in Exodus, uh, we'll be given more of a sense of what Jesus is saying to us. And that will be a refreshment to us this morning and as we start a new year. Uh, but let me uh, pray as we come to God's word now. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the mighty Yahweh. You are the God who made that promise to rescue your people from that yoke of slavery, from the oppression they faced under Pharaoh, that you were the one who rescued them by your mighty hand, that you delivered them into your rest, that you're a God who doesn't exploit his people, but you're a God who gives generously. Father, we thank you for these words here this morning. We pray that we would listen to them, that you would give us a spirit to understand what you're saying, to receive it with joy. And Father, might you draw us closer to you this morning and each day in this year ahead, we pray. Amen. Well, over the um, Christmas break, I was reading a, um, a kind of a, a book let me just adjust this. Stu's obviously very tall, taller than I. <clears throat> uh, I was reading a book um, uh, about sleep. Uh, the book was called Why We Sleep, a book by uh, Matthew Walker. Uh, he is a neuroscientist who studies sleep. And um, there's lots in there that's quite interesting. Uh, I haven't made it to the end of the book yet. Um, but one of the most profound things he says at the very start... Is that a joke? Has it put me to sleep? Or no? Okay, yeah, there we go. Uh, no, he didn't actually put me to sleep, though he did say if you did end up sleeping, he'd be okay about that. Um, he says, amazingly, astoundingly, that if you were to change one thing in your life, if you were to make one lifestyle change, you know, the New Year's resolutions, the most significant thing that you could do would be get between seven and a half and eight hours sleep. Without a doubt, he claims that that's the key to unlocking all sorts of benefits. Uh, whether it is our long-term health prospects, reducing risks of cancer and other diseases, whether it's improving and boosting our memory, our attentiveness, our mood regulation, our uh, mental health, even weight loss, muscle gain. It all stems back to sleep. Uh, if you focus on sleep, it will transform the rest of life. Now, I find lots of things he's saying very interesting, not least the sort of the complexity of what's going on in sleep. But don't you find it fascinating that God, in his wisdom, would design us to need to spend a third of our lives unconscious? But that he would, from the get-go, he, he wasn't limited, he didn't have to make us this way. But from the beginning, he saw it as good that we would spend a third of our lives unconscious. And that this would not just be a limit... It's not simply just a, a kind of your body stops while you sleep. No, 
actually there are wonderful things that happen in our bodies while we're sleeping. It's like the cells in our bodies are being rejuvenated. Life is being refreshed. Now the argument is that we, we need sleep. Uh, sleep actually probably does more good for us than when we're awake, uh, so he says. Now he also makes the point that despite all these benefits, we are in a sleep epidemic, particularly in the West. Uh, we are in a culture that tells us that we need to produce or consume. And I think we find it very hard to hear that the most important thing that we need to do is simply to stop. To stop, to sleep. Our fear of missing out. Fear of getting behind. Fear of saying no to things. Now I'm conscious that uh, talking about sleep, it's an emotive topic, and that there'll be those here this morning who really struggle with sleep. Uh, whether it is crying babies, or whether it's uh, long-term chronic problems, whether it's intense anxieties. There are lots of things that are outside our control. It's not as simple as following a program to get sleep. But I think if you zoomed out and you looked at our culture at large, we're not good at resting. We find it hard to rest because to rest means we need to trust. We need to trust that stopping is doing us more good than the things that we could be doing with our time. Well, here in our passage this morning, Jesus invites us to a more significant change than simply getting enough sleep for our physical bodies. He invites us to make a better resolution. His promise is to give us the rest, not that our bodies need, but our souls need. And I'd argue that that is more transformative either than getting a good night's sleep. Because this rest is going to transform our experience even of those sleepless nights. Uh, in the end, sleep is but a powerful pointer to this spiritual reality that Jesus offers us. Uh, so we're going to explore this invitation. And as I said, we're going to kind of draw on parts of Exodus as we go that might be helpful. Uh, so firstly, uh, see this. Jesus says, come receive rest. Look at verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I've already started thinking about rest in terms of sleep. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of the word rest. Uh, maybe you think of a time away on holiday uh, at the beach or in the mountains. Uh, maybe you think of a hobby, uh, playing an instrument, a sport. Um, it, it's hard, I think, to sort of pin down the particular things where we experience rest. Because sometimes the same activities on different days can be restful and unrestful, can't they? Uh, for something to be restful doesn't mean we're not exerting any effort. We can have great amount of rest running around a football pitch. We can have great amount of rest working hard on an instrument. We can have great amount of rest even in, in doing a job that we love that's reinvigorating. Now, when thinking about this rest, I kind of find it helpful to think about what rest isn't. What is rest not? Well, it's restlessness, isn't it? Uh, the opposite of rest is restlessness. It's the, the angst and the, the kind of choppiness of mental energy, the feeling worn down and exhausted, the feeling of a, a pressure, a burden that we're carrying that is, is so big it, it's going to crush us. It's imagining life like a treadmill 
that is simply getting faster and faster, and we just need to keep running. We need to keep ahead. We need to keep on track. Now, Jesus doesn't uh, mention the word yoke here. He's going to mention that in verse 29. But when he describes those who are wearied and burdened, does that not remind you of what we've seen in Exodus with Israel? What was the heavy yoke that was on their shoulders? It was Pharaoh as their master, wasn't it? What did Pharaoh say of them? More, more, produce more, produce more, faster. Uh, in fact, he made the work harder as they went on. He was exploiting the people. He was subjecting them to real-world, back-breaking work. They were people who were desperate for rest. And yet they were powerless. In their restlessness, they couldn't get themselves out of that problem. No strategizing when it comes to building bricks. No productivity increases on the part of the people would remove that restlessness that they were subjected to. No, what did they need? They needed rescue. They needed God's mighty hand. They needed God to judge Egypt and the gods of Egypt. To, to blow a hole through the Red Sea. And in uh, God's wonderful way, that is painting a huge picture for us that rest needs to come from God. It can never come from us. Uh, I think probably one of my favorite bits in Exodus so far is that bit in Exodus 14 where God has led the people to the edge of the Red Sea. And he's done that because he knows that if he gave them an option, they'd run away. So he, he kind of deliberately pinned them in. You, you've got Egypt and Pharaoh running towards them. Dust clouds in the distance. They can see the swords, the arrows. What does Moses say to the people who are frightened out of their wits about what is going to happen? Who think it's all over? He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Still. They needed to rest now, that sounds like the easiest thing in the world, but just imagine seeing an army that looks like it's going to do you a lot of damage run towards you. Being still is the last thing we want to do. Uh, they couldn't see where God was about to lead them. No, they had to trust. You see, rest and trust are bound up, aren't they? For the people to rest and be still, they needed to know that their God had it in hand, that their God was the one who would rescue them even though they could see no earthly way out of that situation. Uh, you see, from the beginning, uh, God has created us to be those who would rest and depend and trust on him as our creator. Uh, he's the one who sends the rain. He gives the crops. Uh, we, in a sense, are invited to sleep because he doesn't, because the world really doesn't rest on our shoulders, because he's the one who really is sovereign. And yet in our sin, we have tried to live life independently, haven't we? And we've tried to act as if we're self-sufficient, as if we could erase him. We start to imagine that the things that really we can trust in are only really what we can see, what we have in hand. See, the reason our souls are restless is because ultimately they're trying to be something that they were never designed to be. They're trying to take on the burden that only God can carry. Uh, restlessness is what we deserve. Uh, in fact, you see that in the opening chapters of the Bible. What does Cain get as a punishment for his murderous killing of his brother? 
he is cast out as a restless wanderer. Yet the incredible news here is that God says to us, those who are restless, those who are restless at our own doing, he invites us to come and to receive rest. And notice that this is a rest that Jesus says he needs to give. And that means that in life, the rest that we are longing for in different areas of our life, it never starts with us. It will never start with the latest self-help strategies and techniques. It won't come through getting enough physical sleep. It won't come through getting our fitness program in order. It won't come through a new diet. No, the rest that we deeply, deeply long for, the rest that our souls crave for, it starts with Jesus, starting by coming to Jesus and receiving what he has done for us. To be those who are still and who watch his life, his death, his resurrection as an act for us. Bringing us back into the rest that we were designed to enjoy with God our Father. You see, isn't this the best news to start a new year? At a moment where every impulse in us is to make our own resolutions of what we need to fix, we need to do for the next year, God says, no, 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 you need to start by receiving and setting your eyes on what I have done for you. I see, particularly if you are kind of interested in the Christian faith and you are exploring this this morning, the message of the gospel is telling you what God has done for you, first and foremost. See, just like sleep uh, regenerates our bodies and kind of refreshes the cells in us, it is this message, this gospel message of what God has done for us, resting and trusting in that each day, that is the thing that will reinvigorate our souls. That is going to be the engine for growth and life and vitality in the Christian life. Now, how does the Heidelberg Catechism put it? What is, my, what is our only comfort in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul to Christ. See, I think this then invitation to come to Jesus for rest means that there is an invitation for us to take our restlessness to Jesus. See, I wonder whether even as Christians we can know this. We can know that God is the one who saves us. And yet we, we still experience restless in pockets of our life. The unfinished to-dos that weigh on our minds. The unmet demands. The areas where we feel like we're falling behind. Uh, the relationships that feel broken. The work that feels overwhelming. We, we kind of sort of try to manage that restlessness ourselves. If, it, if it's entirely separate from Christ. And yet if Christ offers us rest... I think that means we need to take those restless feelings and we need to lay them down at his feet. See, how often in many of the reasons that we feel restless, part and parcel of us taking on that godlike responsibility for life. Uh, we want to be everything to everyone. We want to live under the demands of other people. We want to live under even bad desires that we have. And yet Jesus says, no, if you come to me, if you lay them down in front of me, if you listen to me, I will show you how to live life with rest. Which brings us on to our second point. Uh, we receive rest in Christ. We come to Christ to have rest by yoking ourselves to Christ. 
Uh, Do you notice that this invitation to rest actually requires an action? Uh, How does Jesus put it in verse 29? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Um, I've got a picture here of a yoke. Um, some of us will know this already. But this, this was a, an instrument that you would kind of use, a sort of tool that you put over livestock. Uh, it's that bar over their shoulders. And you could then tie something to it, like a plow, something to drag along. Jesus says that we need to stand under his yoke. Uh, that actually the path to rest is a path that has action in this way, that comes to Jesus and, and seats ourselves under him. Now, I wonder if you, you see, remember how that kind of echoes with what we saw in Exodus. Uh, God's people didn't just need to be freed from Pharaoh, did they? They were taken out of Egypt. God rescued them through the Red Sea. But even then, they weren't fully free. They were still ruled by fear and fretfulness. No, they needed to learn what it was to live under a new master, to have a better yoke on their shoulders. See, the reality is that we are all made to live for something. We're all made to carry a good burden in life, to have meaning and purpose, to have direction. The problem is that for many of us today, the burden we prize is a self-made one. Our culture loves autonomy. We want to be our own person. We want to be our own individual. We want to follow our own desires. We want to make up life as we see fit. And yet that is as terrifying as it would be to walk a mountain range without a map and a compass. Wandering. But you see, here we are invited to come to Christ and receive his yoke. You see, if we try to take our own yoke on our shoulders, we will never meet and satisfy its demands. I read a a quote from an author, a a quote from the Friends uh, actor, Matthew Perry, who died last year. And he he wrote this, this was talking to an interviewer not long before his death. I have this recurring nightmare, and I'm not kidding about this, that when I'm asleep, I have this nightmare that we do friends again, and nobody cares. We do a whole series and we come back and nobody cares about it. Now, do you hear that? This is a man who's been successful, who's lived for a burden of, of performing on TV, who's been part of one of the most successful TV programs uh, probably in the last several decades, has done extremely well. He's followed that burden and yet it, it eats at him. It creates a nightmare, a nightmare that if, if they tried it again, it wouldn't work, that it would be a complete failure that they would fail. No, we don't. We can't handle burdens made by ourselves, And we we can't take man-made burdens that are supplied on us. Actually, one of the things here Jesus is speaking to, I think, is the, the way in which the Pharisees had been taking the law of God and had made it into this burden that hang on the the necks of the people. Uh, in a light, if you like, this is the way that the Pharisees would take even religion itself and turn it into a treadmill that you needed to try harder. You needed to work yourself more towards perfection. Keep the rules. If you like, it was their way of saying that the rest your soul longs for is, is by being better. If you feel restlessness, that's because the problem is you're not trying hard enough. 
Jesus says of them in Matthew 23 that they tied up heavy loads around the people. And yet he also says that they didn't practice what they preach. Uh, What is going on here? Well, Jesus is exposing the fact that these Pharisees have come along and they've taken God's law and they've turned it into something it was never designed to be. They've turned it into a way of salvation and yet the law will never save. They don't practice what they preach because they twist the law. If you like, they turn the law into something that's a a checkbox exercise. They, on the outside, look like they're conforming. They, They can look down at those who are sexually immoral. They can look down at the greedy tax collector And yet if they took the law seriously, they would see that their hearts were laid open as their lust was exposed, as the stealthiness of their greed was revealed. No, the, the law is a burden that would break our backs. It is too heavy for us. And that's important for us to to have in our minds as we come to the law, as we rejoin the Exodus series. Um. The other day, uh, I noticed this in particular, but this has been become a bit of a pattern. Uh, we've got a sort of Tesco delivery shop that comes to our door, and um, uh, we don't get much excitement in our household. So when the doorbell goes and the Tesco man is there, that is like, wow. Everyone is running to the door. And, uh, you know, notice Anna, you know, the smallest of our kids, uh, three-year-old, running to the door, sees this big, huge blue crate. I- I'll take it. I'll take it. And you can see the Tesco man looking at, looking at her and looking at me being like, uh, should I really do that? And you're like, don't even think about it. She desperately wants to carry the crate. She wants to join in. But the burden is too heavy for her. What do I do? Well, I lift the crate and she's there with her hands kind of moving along with me. I wonder if that's, a, that's maybe a bit of a helpful picture for what is going on here when Jesus is talking about taking on his yoke. You see, we cannot hold the weight of God's law on our backs because it will break us. It exposes our sin. We are not able to be perfectly obedient to God. No, Jesus comes as one who is the perfect Israel. One whose back is strong enough to shoulder the weight of the law, to meet God's good demands And yet the thing is that he not only does that in our place, if you like, he not only carries that burden for us, he invites us under that burden. Not as those who who earn kind of perfection through the law, but those who increasingly come and enjoy the goodness of the law. Because the thing is, the law was a good gift from God. It, It revealed to us what God cared about, what was precious to him. Uh, It showed us what a perfect life looks like. Now, what we need is we need is a a tutor, one who will teach us, who will carry the load and increasingly help us grow into obedience of God's good law. And that is what Jesus says. Notice how he tells us to learn from him. You see, it's easy to distort the law like the Pharisees did. But when we look at Jesus's life, we see the law lived out. We see what the law looks like in the flesh, in practice. As we read scripture across the pages and we see Christ, we are tutored and taught in God's good plan for life, what it looks like to live in relationship with him. Jesus says that it's taking on this yoke that will bring us rest. 
And I think this is entirely counterintuitive, isn't it? Uh, We so often think that rest will come through an inactivity, but no, God here calls us to an activeness in coming to Jesus and letting us be governed by his demands on us, letting us be governed by his good desires, because he tells us that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Uh, We saw an example of this in Exodus, didn't we, with the instructions around the Sabbath. Do you remember the people were groaning uh, because there was no food and water? And God wonderfully provides both water, but he also provides manna from from the sky, bread dropping out of the sky for them. And yet he sets them this pattern of of work and rest. Work for six days, gather the manna up, then uh, rest on that seventh day. On the sixth day, I'll give you twice as much. And you'd think, again, that that would be the simplest command to obey. That's a good command, isn't it? To to receive double the amount on the sixth day so you can take the seventh day off. And yet it exposed in the people's hearts that it's hard to trust God. It's hard to really believe that his words are trustworthy, that there won't be some reason why we won't be left in need. No, Jesus teaches us to step-by-step grow in our trust that God's instruction in our life is where true blessing will come. It is knowing God as our provider and as our protector. That is what will give us true rest in the Christian life. See, this growing and learning from Jesus, taking on his yoke, is something that we do in all parts of church life. Every Sunday we come and sit under God's word together. Every home group, we we open the Bible and we encourage one another with his words. Every conversation we have with one another about Jesus, surely we are doing the same thing in each of these. We are helping point one another to the path of rest, that actually to take Jesus' words seriously, that is where true rest will come. We need to yoke ourselves to Christ. But thirdly and finally, we need to do this because he is gentle and humble. You see, if to rest in God means to trust him, to trust who Jesus is, to trust what Jesus has done for us, to trust his words in how he calls us to live, then we really need to know what he's like, don't we? I mean, in some sense, we don't need to know what he's like. He could simply tell us we need to trust him. He's God, we're not. And yet, everything in our hearts wrestle with this question of, is he trustworthy? Can our hearts trust him? And here he tells us emphatically, what is he like towards us? He is gentle and he's humble. I mean, Jesus is lots of things. Uh, We've seen what God is like in Exodus. We've seen his power, his might, his strength. And we, we need to hold on to those things. But we need never to be frightened of him. No, because he comes to us in peace. Do you see what an incredible contrast this is as a master? We have never known a master like this. The only masters that we have known are Pharaoh-like masters and maybe diluted version of Pharaohs. The the ones that cry out more, that say harder, that, that exploit, that when the people cry out, tell them to, to go and make their own bricks. No, this is a very different type of master. Uh, Jesus has every right 
to simply come into this world and demand from us perfection, to demand that we get our acts together. And yet he says here that he comes in gentleness. See, where our hearts still rage against God with clenched fists, he draws near with open hands. Where God's perfect law condemns us as guilty, he draws near to offer forgiveness. Where we think that God is saying to us simply we need to try harder, he says, no, you need to come and walk alongside me. See, for those of us who were there uh, at Christmas, we thought about Jesus' humility in Philippians 2, that description of Jesus coming down from heaven, becoming obedient even to death. See, this is a king who doesn't just come in a sort of a kind of a meekness that sort of has no backbone. No, his gentleness comes in a willingness and humility to lay down his life for us. The one who would experience restlessness, the restlessness that we deserve, and who says, be still and watch as I fight against your sin for you, as it is nailed to a cross in my flesh. And then come and follow me, and I will give you rest. See, we can entrust ourselves to Jesus because we have never known one who loves us like our Lord Jesus has. One who has shown such humility and gentleness to us. Well, I began by talking about sleep and the benefits, uh, apparently, that sleep will give our physical bodies. Do you see how this rest, this soul rest that Jesus invites us to come into, will transform every area of life? Because in every area of life, There is a relinquishing of the feeling of being in control and being in charge. Life doesn't rest on my shoulders. Even my relationship with God doesn't rest on my shoulders wonderfully, thankfully. No, I have to come daily, moment by moment, back to the Lord Jesus who has come into this world in order to give us rest. Who has taken the yoke of the law on his shoulders. Who has died in my place. And he was promised to look after his people until the day he returns for them. That is a wonderful reminder to me in looking at these verses. And I pray it will be a wonderful encouragement to us as a church. Uh, In many ways, we could describe this whole picture as a picture of grace, can't we? Uh, And isn't that the first uh, part of our promise as a church? That we want to be those who live in light of God's grace? Would it be great to pray that this year we would saturate ourselves in who Jesus is, in what he's done for us, that that would be the thing that would reinvigorate, rejuvenate our lives, that that would be the thing that would lead to growth, that that would be the thing that would make us excited to grow into uh, God's law, to grow in a way that pleases him. Uh, Let's have a moment's quiet and then I'll lead us in prayer.
Father God, I thank you that you know what is on each of our hearts and minds as we step into this new year. You know the weights, the pressures, the burdens, the anxieties, the things that may well keep us up at night, the things that distract us, the things that we find hard to think about. Father, we thank you that Jesus here makes this promise to us, that he stands ready to give us rest. Might you help us come to him? Might you help us come to him not just today, but every moment of every day this year? Might we receive this rest that he has to give us? Might you help expose where the demands of the world, where the demands of sin lead to restlessness? Might we yield these things before ye? Lord, we thank you that Jesus came telling us not to worry about tomorrow, but to focus on living for him. Thank you that with Jesus, as those who belong to him, we are safe. And I pray that we would rejoice in that together as individuals, as a church. And I pray that as we rest in Jesus and what he has gloriously done for us at the cross, in rescuing us into relationship with you. Father, might that invigorate our hearts with a desire to live in a way that pleases and honours you, not to earn any salvation, but to live as those who increasingly look like you, our God. And I pray this in your name. Amen.